All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in Genesis 42. Got it? Okay. Mic working and everything? It's not coming through the mains. It's Joseph and his brothers are going to Egypt. Yes, no, maybe. Okay, there it is. Found it. All right. A little tired today. Dropped off the girls at the airport this morning at 4.15 in the morning to head off to Utah to get some good microbes from her brother, their brother, out there and bring them back to us so we can be immune. So they're spending a couple weeks out there with them, and uh, so it was an early morning. Um, but they got off okay, and, and they're going to have a great time. And I think they're watching right now, so that's kind of fun to, to know that that's happening. Camp this year is on. Uh, be July 16th through the 18th. We'll have sign-up sheets as we get closer to that. Pretty much the same uh, situation as last year. We're going to have it here on site, and uh, um, one overnight. That's that Friday night. And then, uh, but it's going to be like a day camp for the most part. But we'll give you more details as we get closer to that date. Um, rescheduling to a women's luncheon for the fall. We were going to try to hurry up and get it done in June, um, but it's just felt rushed. And so we're going to wait till fall to go ahead and do that. Um, and then the, uh, we're really holding off for the, um, the garage sale, uh, the churchwide garage sale for uh, a fundraiser for, uh, the orphans and all, because we just don't know who, who wants to come out and who wants to do what. Not everybody's as excited about being out as we are. So, um, <laughs> to say the least. So, um, if the sheriff comes barging through to arrest us all for not social distancing, I'm just kidding. They, they wouldn't do that. Um, but we're going to hold off on some things till we know for sure, you know, that everybody's interested in getting out and feeling comfortable with it. Tonight, in Genesis 42, Joseph uh, is in Egypt. He's the number two guy, um, and uh, his brothers are going to, well, they're starving to death out there with dad, and dad's going to send them in to buy some food. Of course, they think their brother's dead. It's, uh, he was 17 about when, when he left. He's about 37 now, so they, don't rec- they won't recognize him. Um, Benjamin was a little guy, and so Joseph doesn't remember what his little brother looks like. It's going to be quite an event. And so normally 42 and 43 go together, but they're awfully long chapters for me to get them in. Um, I may, I don't know. Uh, We'll see. But the plan is to just do 42 tonight. So let's get started. Verse 1, then Jacob saw that there was no grain in Egypt. Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there, that we may live and not die. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers. For he said, Lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, for years now, it seems like... um, Joseph, being the number two guy, had the great plan, interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, uh, was in charge of all the food, going in and out, selling it, uh, made a lot of wealth for his boss, Pharaoh. Um, And so it's been long enough now to where it's affected 
everybody else in the surrounding countries, and including Jacob and his family. Now, Jacob's a wealthy man. We know that. He's got a lot of families under him. All of his sons have families. Um, and so it's a, it's a big family farm, big family ranch, a lot of a big operation. But if there's no grain, there's no grain. doesn't matter how rich you are. Um, if you don't have the food, it doesn't matter how much gold you have. And so he says, you need to go with our money and go down to Egypt and buy some food so we don't starve to death here. So the pressure's on. Now, that, I think that's the key to tonight's teaching as far as when I was studying is there's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure being put on Jacob. There's a lot of being a pressure being put on these boys. And uh, now remember the scenario that, that Joseph is a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, and we see the, the brothers as those who rejected Christ and have put him in prison and sold him off to slavery for silver. The, the whole thing just is, is quite an analogy as you go through Joseph's life. So Joseph has disappeared. They think he's gone. It's been about seven years and all of a sudden, now they're feeling the pressure here in their own land that they're going to come to a place to the end of themselves where they're going to come face to face with someone they rejected at first and will soon recognize. And so you can see where we're going with this as the nation of Israel will one day know that Jesus is their Messiah. We know that that natural olive branch gets grafted back in, even though it was cut off. And so um, we can see that picture here. And so in order to do that, in order to get these boys to that place where they're repentant, first of all, for what they've done to their brother, but to a place where they can receive forgiveness from their brother, they have to get them to, uh, to the end of themselves. So there's a lot of pressure being put on them. And this is the first part. It's a famine. There's just not going to be any food. You're not going to be able to be self-sufficient. I think a lot of us have felt some of that over the last six weeks or so, um, you at times feel helpless and, you know, uh, there's some pressure placed on us economically, um, freedom wise, not being able to go do what you'd like to do when you'd like to do it, all these things, there's pressure and it causes us, well, first to grab our M16s and after that, maybe on our knees to pray, Right. That 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 those patriots in us have to have to rise up first. We have to realize that we're also, and more importantly, citizens of heaven. And 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 what are we to do as citizens in heaven, right? Um, and so there's that pressure placed on us to go seek the true and living God, to maybe get closer to Him than we ever have been before. And I think that's happening all over the world right now. I think the gospel is going out at an unprecedented rate now, as everybody's forced. All these pastors are forced to go. Uh, online and and the word of God never returns void and so as this word is going out and being spread in in new ways and people are tuning in that would have never tuned in before there's going to be a harvest and I don't know if it's twenty five percent or what the rate will be it makes no difference to me but the 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 seed is good and it's going to bear fruit some way or another and so here we are you know. Um, so are the boys. They're in that place. Lest some calamity befall them is what Jacob says. I don't want to send Benjamin lest some calamity. Well, what kind of calamity is he talking about? You almost get the sense that he's got, well, suspicions about what happened to Joseph. Sure, a wild animal. He's had time to think about it years. He's watched his boys deal with the loss of their brother, maybe not in a normal way. Maybe they're not mourning like a normal brother would mourn over the loss of a brother, you know? 
Uh, maybe he's watched him get over it a little too fast or look a little sheepish at the dinner table. I don't know what it is. But the scripture leads me to believe that. And later on in this same chapter, he's going to say, Jacob will say something else too. He says, I'm not sending Benjamin lest something befall him while he's on his way. Not from Egypt. He's not concerned about the Egyptians taking Benjamin. It's somewhere along the way I'm afraid Benjamin might get, I don't know, missing kind of thing. This is a rough family, and we've talked about this. This is a family of a lot of half-siblings. There's four wives involved with Jacob. This is the original blended family, okay? This is the most dysfunctional family that you'll find in Scripture, and yet this is the beginning of a nation, a dysfunctional nation, no doubt, but it's meant to encourage us. God picks Jacob because he's not pickable. I mean, if you're going to play dodgeball and you had a bunch of people, Jake's the last guy to get picked, okay? And so God picks him for a reason and makes God look great. It makes him look, well, if, if, if God can use Jacob, he can use anybody is the idea. And that needs to be all of our hearts. That if God chooses me to use me in any way, shape, or form, that means he can use anybody, I think about my high school and my grade school and my junior high and the kind of kid that I was and who I was and in the pecking order of things in life, you know, as I grew up, I knew where I was. Every kid knows that in, in public school, you know where you are, you know what level you're at. You're either the A or you're the B or you're some C or, or you're one of those guys, you know, you know that everybody does. And you think about that. And then you see God choose to use you in one way, shape, or, or, or another. And all you can say is you're blessed to be used by God. And that's, that's where Jacob is. Jacob's going to be used by God to start a nation. And this is a nation that is starting with a family that is so dysfunctional. Now, all the, the sibling rivalry is uh, unparalleled. And, and the dad's love is not evenly spread amongst the boys. It's Joseph and Benjamin are number one and two. And everybody in the family knows it. But they still want dad's love and approval. You'll see Reuben and, and these guys, these boys, step up trying to see if they can gain dad's favor, you know, stand up for Joseph and just at least be his savior at one point when they threw him in the pit. You see that struggle. These are, I mean, at the time this is happening, these are men. We would consider them men still trying to get dad's love, you know. So all that being said, I don't know where you come from or what kind of family you have or whatever. <laughs> Again, if God can use these folks, he can use you and wants to use you. And in fact, the most unlikely chosen people are the best people for God to use because everybody will give God glory. And that's a beautiful thing. And so he says, go get some grain, boys. Why are you looking at me? Quit looking at me like I'm the one. I, you, I know there's food in Egypt. Go down there and, and get some, buy some. Verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Remember that. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a, a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. And he said to them, where do you come from? Through the interpreter. And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Now remember, Joseph's in all Egyptian garb. They've shaved him from head to toe. He doesn't have a stitch of hair on him anywhere, eyebrows or otherwise, because they were just kind of 
clean freaks at the time, you know, and he's got the gold and the white. And just like what you see in the hieroglyphics, there, there he is, you know, hardly looks like a Hebrew at this point. And so they don't recognize him. Plus, it's been 20 years. But he remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. He recognized them and remembered the dreams. Do you remember the dreams? The first dream was the sheaves all bowing down to Joseph. And he told his brothers about it. It was great. There I was in the middle and all you guys were bowing down to me. And they're like, yeah, you know. That's, that's, yeah, we'll see who bows down to who. Well, here it is happening, being fulfilled. Now, the second dream was like it. It was the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they all bowed down, and that included mom and dad then bowing down. And dad got mad about that. Jacob said, really, mom and I are going to bow? That's not how it works around here. Kids don't rule the roost, you know. Um, but he remembered that. Jacob kept that in his heart, and that hasn't happened yet, but it will. And so everything that God promised Joseph is happening. Now, imagine as he's boasting about this dream, would he have boasted if he had known the pathway to get to that coming to pass? See, I, I like to know, and I, and I ask God, what's, what's in store? What's in the future? What's, what are you going to do? And, and, and you get excited, and maybe he gives you a vision, or he shows you something, and it's exciting. But he doesn't tell you how it's going to get there or when it's going to get there. And that's probably for the best, because of all the strange twists and turns along that road to get to that place. What if he had told him, okay, first, Joseph, this is great. The first thing that's going to happen is you're going to get thrown in a pit by the ones that love you the least, your brothers. And then they're going to sell you into slavery. That's the craziest thing. I'm going to have this caravan just happen to be going by. And then you're going to go and get sold into Potiphar's house. And then this cougar woman's going to come and try to get a hold of you and have you lay with her and all that. And then you're going to have to run out of the house, but you'll be falsely accused for initiating that. And even though you don't, it doesn't really matter because then we're going to put you in prison. But we'll put you in charge of ever the prisoners. And then after that, you're going to have some guys come in with some dreams and you're going to interpret them. And then they're going to forget all about you for years. And then after that, they're going to call you up to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And that's when you get to be number two. But then you're going to be shaved for several years, probably seven years, have to serve him. And then your brothers are going to, I mean, can you imagine? You can keep your sheaves, you know? I think I'd just rather not have the, the coat of many colors at this point. God's got a plan. God's got a plan bigger than Joseph. Jo Joseph just happens to be very instrumental. And the most instrumental people in God's plan are the ones that are most obedient to the Lord, most faithful, most willing to let God do whatever he needs or wants to do with their lives. And those are the ones he uses the most, but I want you to see how he uses them. And how hard a road that is to be used by God that way. We boast, and we were, David and I were talking about George Mueller and his amazing faith. It was amazing faith. But to live that way, to sit at the table with all the orphan boys without a, any food in the cupboard and thanking God for the food that will come before it's there, it's exciting to read in a book but would you actually sit down at the table and do that? And if you would do that, 
What does that feel like to go through something like that and have that knock on the door and have someone show up with bread and, and, and milk and say, God told me to drop this off tonight about this time, right after you'd given thanks to God for the food you didn't have? Oh, what a great story. I want to be that. The road that took George Mueller there was an interesting road. And I'm all for that. And I don't want to discourage that, but I also want to be very realistic about this kind of faith. This kind of faith isn't just, oh, it was great. And there it was. And every time I looked at my bank account, there was another million dollars there. It's not how it was. It's not how it was. Just a constant, constant lack. Never having enough. Never having it until right when you needed it kind of thing. Joseph has gone through an incredible journey so far. But here it is. They've all bowed down before him, but this is not how he thought it was going down. He said to them, No, my Lord, we're not slaves. We've come to buy food. We are all from one man's, we are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Really? Your servants are not spies. No, but you killed your brother. You know, they don't know who they're talking to. And even they feel convicted. You're going to see this here. No, we're honest men. We're here just to buy food. We're not here to spy out your land. Well, they're not, but they're not honest men. He says, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. Joseph's supplying pressure. Now, is he being vengeful? Or is he trying to bring about a response? And I believe he is. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. Isn't that interesting? They talk about him like, he doesn't exist anymore. He, he is. He's standing in front of them, but we're all the same. We're all from the same family. They include him in this story. They don't say there were 11 of us. They say 12. They include Joseph. Joseph's on their mind. Even though it's been 20 years since they sold him into slavery, Joseph's on their mind, and the pressure is on. But Joseph said to them, and now he's picking up on this, it is as I spoke to you. You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send, uh, send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison for three days. They got to think about it. They got to pick. Who's going to go? You know, which one of us is going to go? He's probably for three days listening to him argue and say, well, I'll go. I'll fight to see who's going to get out of that prison and run because they know that dad's not going to let Benjamin come. They know the only person getting out of this thing alive is the one that volunteers to go back to dad. And I'm probably not coming back. To the point where they can't come to a consensus as to who's supposed to go because Joseph has to change the parameters of this this plan of his, this pressure that he's placing on them, he changes it. Then Joseph said to them, the third day, do this and live. For I fear God, if you are honest man, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house. But you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. That's better. Now there's just got to be enough of us Nine of us have to pick one of us, you know? 
I can do that. And we get the grain. Now, I'm not saying that they're excited about it, but it certainly is better than, well, certainly easier to come to a consensus on this. So they said, sure. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. That's how vivid it is. 20 years later, they remember the cries of Joseph in the pit, begging them, please let me out. Please don't do this to me. Please don't sell me into into slavery. It's eating at them. They go over it in their mind. They probably have dreams about it. And Reuben answered and said, saying, did I not speak to you? Saying, do not sin against the boy. And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they did not know that Joseph, Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them, through an interpreter, and he turned himself away from them and wept. And he returned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him from or bound him before their eyes. He made the choice and take Simeon from you. Simeon is from Leah. That's one of Leah's boys, just so you know if it makes a difference. I don't know. Joseph gets upset. Joseph's still tender. That's a hard thing to to to. to to get to, to stay there. Um, a pastor friend of mine, older pastor, much older, um, sort of a Paul in my life, uh, told me that when you want to be in the ministry, make sure that you have skin of a rhino and heart of a child. You got to have a skin of a rhino and heart of a child. I've never forgotten that. Because there's going to be a lot of things thrown at you, but you cannot let that make you calloused. You cannot let that harden your heart. And I'm looking at Joseph here, and if there was anybody that could have a hard heart, it could be him towards these guys. He doesn't have to still be the Joseph he was in the pit or before the pit. A fun-loving kid that loved the Lord was so uh, blessed by God with wisdom that his dad put him in charge of everything at the age of 17 or so. That's how smart he was and still is smart. Now he's number two in Egypt. He could, he could really take that and get that in his head. His head could be a lot bigger, but it's not. It's to the point where he hears his brothers talking about, I knew we shouldn't have done this. I knew we shouldn't have done this. That he begins to weep and turns away from them because he doesn't want them to see, obviously. He doesn't want to let the cat out of the bag yet. There's going to be a time for that, but this isn't it. Guilt is eating at these men. Guilt eats at us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 32, verses 3 through 4, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. That guilt eats at us. It destroys us. Jesus doesn't offer forgiveness for his sake. He offers forgiveness for our sake. There is such a self-destructive mode that we get into when we are laden down with guilt. When we have guilt, when we know we've sinned, when we know we've hurt somebody, wronged somebody, and we haven't dealt with it, and we're letting it sit there, and we're not asking for forgiveness or trying to make it right, it is eating us from the inside out. That's where cutting comes from. That's where the self-destructive nature of some people is they deserve punishment. I deserve judgment. I deserve this. So many victims of domestic abuse actually feel they've got it coming when anybody from the outside can say, nobody has that coming. But you tell a kid long enough and often enough that he's worthless, no good, 
they'll believe it. They'll start falling into that. You tell a woman who's maybe grown up with a family like that where they were never lifted up and and cared for and loved and cherished like they should have been, and they go off and they marry some guy that treats them just like their family treated them, this is their lot in life, they assume, and the beatings I get are the beatings I deserve. It's a horrible, horrible cycle. And it's not until we realize and somebody realizes, this is when Christ steps into somebody's life and shows them, this is how I feel about you. The creator of the universe loves you with an everlasting love that nothing can separate you from me. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will provide for you. I will take care of you. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm Jehovah Sid. The Sidniku, Sid, I can't even pronounce that one. Yeah, whatever. There's so many names of God. <laughs> They're Hebrew. Give me a break. I don't know Hebrew. I'm your provider. I'm your everything. I'm your all in all. And I've said this before, but I think it's true. A person feels about themselves the same way the most important person in their life feels about them. And if it is your husband who thinks very little of you, then that's how you'll feel about yourself. If it's your dad or your mom who thinks very little of you, that's how you feel about yourself. And that's just life. I have no idea why you were born into the family you were or whatever happened to you or why people are the way they were. They're a bunch of sinners. We're all broken. But when you discover the creator of the universe and how he feels about you, that's when you begin to overcome. When you start receiving that forgiveness from him, that love from him, and he begins to pour out what should have been poured into you from the very day you were born. When he begins to pour into you his life and his love and his care, his joy, all the fruits of the spirit being poured into you, all of a sudden you get rejuvenated from the inside out. You start receiving that forgiveness. And then you're able to give it out to other people, but only because of Christ and what he's done for you. We get changed and transformed. These boys are eaten up with guilt. They have nowhere to take it. It's a secret. They all know it. And they're living in it. And they're having a miserable existence. Getting rid of Joseph didn't make their lives better. Mr. Coat of Many Colors, Mr. Mr. Dad's Favorite, Killing dad's favorites, so to speak, putting him in the pit, selling him into prison, didn't change their situation at all. It just made dad sad. And now they walk around with dad being sad, and they're in the same position they always were. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's between you and him. You don't go to anybody else. You don't need to go to a man, anybody. You go straight to the one who gives you forgiveness, and it's free, and it's offered to you, and you bring it to him. And I don't know what sins you have in your heart. I don't know what sin that eats us up on the inside. Everybody's different. Everybody's got pain. Everybody's got sorrow. Everybody's got a history. Everybody's got things that happened to them or things they did to other people. Everybody has that. I'm going to have a big fest here where we all confess out loud to one another. You can. None of us can offer forgiveness to one another. Not that matters anyway. That's why David said to you, you alone have I sinned against, O Lord. 
It's always been a difficult one to comprehend, right? Well, no, you kind of sinned against Bathsheba. You kind of sinned against Uriah. I mean, there's a lot of people that got hurt by you, David. But when David confesses it in the Psalms, he says, you and you alone, O Lord, have I sinned against. It's the only forgiveness I need. That's, that's what I need. That's what is required here. Yeah, Uriah, bad deal. Yes, Bathsheba, I need to make it up to her. Yeah, this kid that I'm praying will live, but isn't and didn't. There's a lot of hurt around me from my sin, but I need forgiveness from you. And David knew that. These boys need forgiveness. And these boys represent the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel is struggling. We support Israel. We love Israel. Those who bless Israel get blessed. Those who curse Israel get cursed. That has never changed. They have the apple of God's eye. His return is there. He's not forsaken them. He's not left them. They may have left him, but he has not left them, and they will get their chance again. We know that from Scripture. But they're lost and wandering, even though they have their land, even though they have a government and autonomy. Most are atheists that live there. You don't think of them that way. You think of the Hasidic Jews. Those are the ones we see the most. Well, those are super religious guys. They're the ones with the the boxes on their foreheads or on their arms or at the wailing wall. That's what you think when you go to Israel. But most don't talk to God. Most don't celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement for the nation. Most don't. They're lost and wandering, and they're swallowed up with it. They don't know why. They will, but they don't know why now. When you see someone in that self, you've got them in your mind. You have people in your lives that you pray for. You try to give them advice as to how to get out of situations they find themselves in. They seem to be going around that mountain the same time in their life. When are you going to learn that that's not going to solve your problems? When are you going to stop going back to that? It's frustrating. But they don't know. You can't give them a different path to take. They need to go up. They need to get their eyes on Jesus and get straightened out there right where they are. And that's when he gives them the new path. That's when he leads and guides them away. These boys need forgiveness. They don't know what to do with themselves. They're stuck. All they can think about is everything that's ever bad that's happened to us in our life is all because of what we did to Joseph. Verse 25. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack. This is a secret, though. Nobody knows it. And to give them provisions for their journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. And there it was in the mouth of his sack. And so he said to his brothers, my money has been restored. And there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? They didn't look at it as like a bonus. Hey, look at that. They, their loss, there's guilt. Oh, this is just getting worse and worse. Simeon's back there. Yeah, we got the food, but now we've got the money. Now they're going to think we stole it. Joseph is applying pressure. He's applying pressure. Verse 29. Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of, our, of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men, 
We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me. So I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. All you got to do is prove to me that you've got 11 brothers total with one missing. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Now, Jacob, of all these folks, has got or had the closest relationship with God of all. You know, the, the Jacob's ladder with the angels ascending and descending and the altars that he's made and his conversations he's had with the Lord and all these wonderful moments he's had with God. But at this point, his grief has overtaken him. He cannot get over the fact that he's lost his son, but he hasn't. But that's how he perceives it. That's the circumstance. That's what it looks like to him. And now he doesn't have Simeon anymore, but that was Leah's boy. But still, I've lost Simeon, my son. And now you want me to take, give you Benjamin? This isn't happening. Jacob is pondering in his mind, I think I'm just going to cut my losses here. Losing two sons is better than risking three or a third. All these things are against me. Are they, though? Does he have a correct perspective? Is he right? Is the reality of the situation exactly how he sees it? It isn't. And what a lesson that is for all of us. All these things are against me. I mean, I lost this. I can't do that. And this is happening. These things are happening. And this over here is happening. If you're a believer and you've trusted in the Lord and you've given him your life, are they? Are they really against you? I mean, Joseph could be saying the same thing. Look at all these things that are against me. I mean, I had it made in my dad's house. All I did was share a few dreams, and now I find myself here in Egypt. But both of these men have decided to let God do with them whatever he wants to do with them. They've made that promise. Jacob, much earlier at that ladder, Joseph also said he lived the life that way, always honest, always serving. Even if it was an Egyptian, he served to his fullest because he was serving God. No matter where he was, he was serving God. And so no matter what the circumstances brought him, they were the same person no matter what. And we find themselves in these tough situations where, well, Joseph's working it. He's going to bring these boys to him. His brother's back. There's going to be forgiveness. It's a beautiful thing. But there's pressure that needs to be applied to where these guys actually do what they need to do. Jacob, on the other hand, is not seeing things clearly. He's going by his circumstances. He's looking outwardly. He's not thinking in the spirit. He's not asking God. He's not seeking the Lord. He's just saying, no, no, this can't be. Then Reuben spoke to his father saying, kill my two sons. If I do not bring him back to you, put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. It's a weird thing to say, isn't it? Hey, grandpa, you can kill your two grandsons. I mean, you got to think of it that way. It doesn't even make sense. Now we're just saying stupid stuff, you know? Uh, 
Will this work, Dad? How is killing my grandsons going to make me feel better? Oh, well, okay. Go ahead. You know? That's what a ridiculous statement. These guys are so in the flesh. We can get so in the flesh sometimes. We say these just ridiculous things. You can kill my two sons if I don't bring them back to you. And the two boys are sitting there probably. They can hear all their tents. The struggles, the pressure, the, the, the awkwardness in, in these families, everybody's feeling it. The, the wives, the, the, the other sons, the other grandkids are all just like, this is the craziest family, you know. I'll bring him back. But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way, in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow and to the grave. He suspects, doesn't he? I'm not worried about Egypt. I'm not worried about this guy coming to take him. I'm not worried about Simeon. I'm worried about you guys. Where is Simeon? Is Simeon really in Egypt? I mean, Jacob has all sorts of doubts right now. Give us Benjamin. He doesn't trust these boys as far as he can throw them. Now, what a great way to leave off on a Wednesday night study, right? <laughs> Positive, encouraging Calvary. That's what we call ourselves. Here's the thing. You've got to have this. This is essential. We talk about this all the time. We talk about the gospel and how it's being mis it's not being represented properly in today's day and age because people think it's about health or wealth or getting a better life. It has nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins. We're not talking about sins. We're not talking about why they need a savior. It's not to save you from your economic disaster. It's not to save you from your cancer. That's not why we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus because we've sinned against the true and living God, that our destiny is hell, and without a Savior to die on the cross instead of us, without looking to a Savior that he provided for us, we are doomed. We've got to have the doom, unfortunately. I don't want to be a doomsayer, but the doom makes it good news. Otherwise, it's just news. What's so good about it? As we see churches get rid of this sin and that sin, and that's not a sin anymore, we've decided this isn't a sin anymore, all of a sudden, what is it that we needed a Savior for after all? I mean, if everything's okay, and God really doesn't care about all that stuff, and that was all, what do they say, cultural back then, and now we've grown and evolved out of that, what is the purpose of Christ? Which literally means Savior, the, 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 the Messiah. Is he just a great philosopher? Someone that we tag on to our lives to increase our wealth and health? No, of course not. You've got to understand the condition of our soul, our spirit. It, death is waiting for us. And if we want to rise to new life in Christ, we have to have Christ. We have to accept him as our Lord and Savior, to believe in him for salvation. That's the whole point of this entire book, the Volume of the book is written of me. And so when we leave off on a 42 like this, with doom and gloom, Jacob is lost. I just, let's just keep the food. We'll have to just chalk Simeon up. He's just gone. I'm going to cut my losses and keep the boys that I do have. I'm not sending Benjamin off. And we leave off in a place like that. That's an okay thing. Because the sun's going to rise. 
and they're going to end up running out of food and they're going to have to go back down and Jacob's going to or <laughs> Jacob's going to have to deal with this Joseph's going to have a little more fun with his brothers it's not fun he's got a purpose and in the end of this though we have a reunion unlike any other it's the it's the most beautiful picture you've ever seen because as these brothers see their brother that they sold off into slavery exalted and high and lifted up with forgiveness in his eyes and tears in his eyes receiving them back again with hugs and arms open wide they are broken and busted and loved and forgiven and all that burden they carried is gone spoiler alert sorry that's where we're headed in the next two chapters This world is dying and they're lost. They're more worried about masks and different things. They don't know what to do. They can't think. All they can think about is today. All they can think about is what's going on right now and very my, just a myopic view of the world right now. They can't think about all that stuff. I'm just trying to figure out this, you know. It's all a distraction. It's their soul. It's their heart. And we have the answer as Christians. We've received that forgiveness of sins. We've understood what the good news is. We've received the blessing, those open arms, that forgiveness in his eyes. The burden has been lifted. The backpack has been taken off of all of our sin, and we're never to pick it back up again. And we can, we're light as a feather through his grace. And our mission as Christians is to take off as many backpacks as we can along the way, to let people know there's good news, that the weight that they carry around with them our Savior wants to take from them. He wants to relieve them of that burden. So it's dark right now for Jacob and his family, but light is coming. And we have to have this darkness in order to appreciate the light. They are coming to an understanding of their guilt. They are dealing with their shame. It's out in the open. They're talking about it with each other once again. Who knows how long it's been? 20 years. Not talking about that anymore. Joseph's gone. We're not mentioning it anymore, but now they're talking. It's coming back up. And they're stuck. And now they're thinking about Simeon. And nothing can get out of their minds. It's a good thing. See, I don't want to relieve people of their burden of guilt. Not until they come to Christ. That's the whole point of it. That feeling bad about the thing. I don't want to, oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Everybody makes mistakes. We do. But we're doomed in those mistakes. We're doomed in those sins. It's okay for that darkness to lead people to light. It's okay, you know. And I pray that they would find it and they would receive it as these guys are going to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for this beautiful story that you so honestly written down in your word for us to read. You don't pull any punches. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who uses your word. It's the sword of the spirit and cuts between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit as a discerner of our hearts. And we asked for that tonight and you did. And we're thankful for that. We pray that you continue to do that. But tomorrow is another day. It's Thursday. I don't know what we have in store, what, we are, what our plans are, but I know this. You've called us. You want to use us. You want us to be your hands and feet, your mouth. You want us to speak words of love and encouragement and truth to those around us. Lord, help us to be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for the hope which lies within us, God. As we see someone down, depressed, a coworker that we're really close to, and they all of a sudden they show up and 
They're lower than you've ever seen them before. And Lord, help us to see that, recognize that, have a compassion and love for them to come alongside and to lead them to you. The truth. Thank you for relieving us of our guilt, for forgiving us of our sins, for granting us that forgiveness, the relief to know. Lord, we love you. Pray that you watch out for us as we leave. Thank you for the kids outside being able to have fun. It didn't rain on them tonight. They're able to run around and enjoy. And uh, we pray that you bless them, Lord, as well. Bless the teachers who took the time to prepare their lessons for tonight and, uh, and to give out to our kids, to pour out into them your love and grace and mercy, forgiveness and truth. We pray the kids would never forget it, that they remember it in their hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.